this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Welcome to Hot D, the officially unofficial podcast for House of the Dragon on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season one, episode five, We Light the Way. It's the feedback episode. Aaron, how are we doing in the feedback department? We got a healthy amount. Um, you can send uh, feedback into hot D at baldmove.com if that's, uh, if, if that's something you're inclined to do to get a chance to be read. Lots and lots and lots of people took us up on the matter, uh, so let's get to it. Mike is up first and says, hey, can you enlighten me on the hair color heritability in the universe? Targaryen has a baby with someone with dark hair. Will that baby almost always have silver hair? Do two Targaryens always have silver-haired children? I'm just wondering what the possible implications would be should Rhaenyra have a baby with dark hair and the likelihood of this happening. Oh man, Westerosi Punnett squares. What a what a, a fabled history they have. Um, I'm gonna be honest. I don't a hundred percent know. It seems like in George's universe, this stuff is very heritable, and it's one of the many reasons Targaryens are very incestual, as they are trying to preserve their primarily dragon riding. Uh, you know, they're they're big, big uh, proponents of the only Targaryens can ride dragons or I'm sorry, only uh, only dragon riders can ride dragons. Uh, there's there was more historical dragon riders and Targaryens, but they're the last of the house of those houses left. Um, but they also, you know, want to continue on the legacy of their platinum hair and their purple eyes, um, purple eyes, more of a book thing than the show thing. But uh I know canonically there are instances of black haired children being born to Targaryens, but especially when you're talking fire and blood and, uh, you know, the world of ice and fire, you can't ever dismiss the possibility that these might be bastard children, you Mm -hmm. know, that the queen stepped out on the king or the queen, the princess stepped out on the prince or, and so, so it's like, you know, and 300 years later, who the hell would ever know? Right. Yeah. Um, and also as the Targaryens do start to intermix with, you know, people like the, you know, the the people from the Vale and the Baratheons and whatnot. Um, once you get a little bit of that dark hair, brown eyed genetics in the mix, then, you know, if it's anything like real world genetics, which I don't think it is, you're, you're going to always have a chance of that popping up at some point. So I think that in the universe they think it's super heritable um that seems clear like you know ned stark built his whole case of tar- uh blanister incest based on you know robert's the, the 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 baratheon seed being strong and and breeding breeding true through several generations um mm-hmm. i don't think that'd hold up in a modern day court but you know is what they had at the time 
What do you, what do you have any, any, any thoughts as a, as a non-book reader? No, I'm just waiting to see if they do anything with it. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. And I, and I, I think I said this on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. Like I, um, my understanding of West, the, um, you know, kind of Westerosi genetics is it's, it doesn't really work anything like uh, we do here. Like uh, it seems like, your color, your skin color and hair color, eye color roughly corresponds to like what latitude you're from mm-hmm. uh, and, and your ancestry goes back to like thousands and thousands of years here on Earth. Westeros with magical seasons and magical lengths, you know, like like uh, uh, summer and spring and all that being more magical than it is like based on any kind of planetary tilt or closeness to the sun or what have you. I don't know that that would necessarily be true. Um it, it it might be a lot more variable. So, but in universe, I think it, it definitely uh, would ri- raise eyebrows if you had a Targaryen couple and they just pumped out dark haired child after dark haired child. I want to see that happen. And then I, I, I want to see a plot where somebody is so desperate to become a dragon rider that they just lay out in the sun, hoping they can bleach their hair enough <laughs> to pass as Targaryen. Sure. Sure. Yeah. What, uh, what is it that you put in your hair to encourage? Is it, is it like apple cider vinegar or is it, you know, because like, I, I, isn't there something you can oh, spray in your hair during the summertime to kind of encourage it to go blonde? Bleach. Maybe. It's for bleach. You spray <laughs> I mean, yeah. 50 50 Clorox and yeah, apple cider vinegar, I think is what, <laughs> mm-hmm. what does the trick. Uh, let's move on to Leah. It says, I think you're missing a female perspective in the discussion about whether rebellious teenager Rhaenyra drinks the plan tea. Of course, this is for the previous episode. Uh, this is a girl whose greatest fear is dying in childbirth and by extension being pregnant. She absolutely is going to drink that tea. Any teenage girl who doesn't want to be pregnant drinks that tea regardless of what it looks like in front of her father. My first thought watching the episode was now that she knows that moon tea exists, does she secretly use it in the future? Marriage probably looks a lot easier now that she knows she can avoid being pregnant if she gets a maester on her side. And now that she's had her eyes open to the wonders of sex, will her having or not having an heir of her own be a point of discussion for the lords who have to decide whether to ba- who to back in a civil war? As you pointed out, she's not very politically strategic, so I guess so. I say she goes heavy on that moon tea and stays in peak dragon riding shape. That's an interesting mm. idea, uh, a woman who just refuses to have an heir because, like, I ain't dying in childbirth. I'm going to keep this hot dragon body. Uh, and, mm-hmm. fu- yeah, fuck all that stuff. Um, I mean, I was a little bit muddled in my calculus because as, as I was recounting, like, the different options at Rhaenyra, like, I was taken from the – one of them was I was considering, like, well, maybe Rhaenyra just didn't have sex with anybody, and that's stupid. She did. We saw it. So Yeah, yeah totally. What do, you, what do you think about this feedback, Jim? Uh, yeah, it makes sense. Um, that would probably be pretty scary. I, I don't know. As far as her, like, not uh, her trying to ensure that she doesn't have an heir. Um, like I someone she it. has to, right? I could see it. Yeah, she doesn't have to, especially not right away. Um, certainly people if are she going takes to be the pressuring prophecy, her too, but. If she takes the dream slash prophecy seriously, she almost has to ensure yeah, that. Yeah. But does she? Align. Does she? Yeah, take I guess there's lots seriously. of other Targaryens. No, too. I mean, does she take it seriously? It's like, okay, her father's telling her that he takes it very seriously, but it seems he's like constantly when she was, having to remind her of it, right? And 
it seems like when she's talking to Sir Kristen, she is cognizant of it. You know, she talks about the duty to the realm. And I guess yeah. that's like, I, I, yeah, that whole conversation is tinted with like, uh, you were just kind of a one night thing, dude. You're just like a fling, you know? Yeah. It was, yeah. I was reading less, oh, I have a duty to the realm, uh, and more, I just don't want to get that serious with you, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I like you. I don't know if I like right. you, like you. I'll keep, uh, I'll keep banging you, but relationship? What are you talking about? I don't know that I agree. Um, no, it okay. does say, but I, but I, I, it's to the extent that I don't know. I think she takes the the duty to the realm part seriously. Whether she takes the uh, song of ice and fire part of it seriously, I think remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. And I also like I don't know that Viserys takes it that seriously too, because like I still don't think that um, he's treating Rhaenyra like a true equal. Like you think he would if he's really hell bound in sitting her on the throne and making sure she's ready to defend the realm against all this, you know, ice zombie shit that he thinks is coming. Yeah. And he's had a few years at this point. So, yeah, it getting it's like one of those things where like I feel like um, <laughs> sometimes my mom would get uncomfortable with the state of sloth or I don't know. uh messiness in the family uh my mom was one of the chief contributors you know ones that likes to sleep in on the weekends and maybe not go to bed with the dishes done and she would get up and harumph and be like this family's got to make some changes around here we got to do just because she herself was feeling guilty about it yeah uh so she had to like but then it's like when it comes time to do something you know you know it's one o'clock on saturday afternoon she's still honk shoe honk shoe uh Mm -hmm. Is Viserys that kind of type where he's like, yeah, we got to do something about these ice zombies at the wall. And then like, oh, God, I got these boils and wine tastes really good. And where's Allison at? Like, he just doesn't have the dedication to it. Not really. Could be. I can see that. Anyway. Um Let's move on to Sarah. She says, I was just listening to your episode four feedback cast, and I got to the part about how dragons are controlled. When it's mentioned that we don't think that they're controlled mentally and that warging probably isn't an option, it reminded me of the end of Game of Thrones where Bran is inquiring about where Drogon is. He says, let me see if I can find them or something along those lines. And now I'm wondering why. Does Bran just want to keep tabs on Drogon? Does he think if Drogon is close enough, he can control Drogon, Hodor style? What do you guys think? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Happy to have the Game of Thrones world content from you guys again. Well, thank you. Um, Oof. I don't quite remember that scene, but... I would say brand is definitely an exception. Like anything that applies to brand doesn't necessarily apply to any other. That's exactly right. And I I don't know if like, I would say that like warging probably isn't an option to me. I I know that there's things in in, in the material that speculate the dragons are too um, mentally strong to be dominated like that. But I, that might be more Targaryen bullshit, you know, (laughs) propaganda. And then, like, it might be true that, like, your average, you know, I don't think, uh, what is it, Viermer of Six Skins, he, he was, like, this pretty famed uh, uh, warg from Beyond the Wall in, in some of the, the, the later Game of Thrones books, Song of Ice and Fire books. I don't know that he could pull something like that down, but, like, Bran is, you know, it's like comparing Superman to Captain America. It's like... Sure. Captain American can do a lot of shit, but he can't plunge into the heart of the sun. 
Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like like Superman can. So I think the if if, if anyone could warg into a dragon, it'd probably be Bran. There's yeah. a lot, uh, and and just because, and also the show, especially when you get in the season, like halfway through season six, seven, and eight, it is really best thought of as George Martin fan fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it might be right, it might be wrong, but George had nothing to do with it, and there was not a lot to go on. So we'll see. And I um, I you know we we've only we've only seen one Stark. And he was just there to gruffly swear allegiance to Rhaenyra in what the first episode. Uh, so I don't, yeah, I, 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 I don't know if we're going to get any, uh, get to any warging. Although, stay tuned to the very end of this episode if you want to hear the hot new Valerian tinfoil theory of the week mm. regarding right. a possible, some possible uh, first men BS happening. Uh, Tori from Dallas has got feedback from the King of the Narrow Sea. So from timestamps 3117 to 3145, the camera work has Damon and Rhaenyra swapping their positions. In one scene, Rhaenyra is behind Damon looking around. In the other scene, Rhaenyra and Damon are getting closer and closer until we eventually see that scene continues playing with a kiss. Could this camera work be intended to show us that we don't really know the truth of the episode or am I crazy? I'm also reminded of like the way the camera worked in this episode works and how we never really got to see whether Damon said, you know, joked about his, uh, uh, you know, his uh, nephew uh, Balin being heir for a day. Oh, right. Yeah. To me, I think this is the show playing, uh, you know, uh, respecting its heritage of this kind of messy gossipy history book. And yes, I do think it's deliberate. Some of these choices where why did Sir Kristen murder this guy? I mean, we saw what led up to it, but what actually made him snap? I don't know, because we were looking at Damon at the time and eyewitness accounts are notoriously center. And there's a whole bunch of dancing, fighting people between us. So we don't get the view, you know, did uh, um, you know, did, why, why did you know, or like like there's a there's a lot of stuff in this where it seems like they're trying to get that feel of reading fire and blood where you know this maester says this this septa says this mushroom says this um uh, who's right and who's wrong and i i think it's one of the more entertaining aspects of the show to be honest mm-hmm. i mean mushroom might have gotten a pretty good look at what started it he was up on a stage it's true right? banging those drums mm-hmm. uh yeah yeah, he might have been the uh, he he does certainly had a unique perspective as far as vantage point. Uh huh. <laughs> Ashley says, I keep hearing on multiple podcasts questions about why Damon pulls Rhaenyra's hat off in the brothel. Seems obvious to me that it's purely because this is what he is attracted to sexually, as if he is psyching himself up for something to happen between them. In the first episode, Masseria confronts Damon after he's unable to perform by offering to bring him a maiden, one that she can arrange to have silver hair. To me, it seems clear that Damon has long had this weird forbidden thing for his niece, or at least for the whole pure Targaryen blood mating paradigm. I'm less interested in exactly why or uh, he couldn't or wouldn't go through with it, but it seems he seems impetuous enough as a character that it makes sense to me that he may have been making it up as he went. It seemed less to me like some big plan that dragged reputation of the air and more like Damon's primary motivation was to always not give a fuck and have wild flirty night on the town with the blonde teen who he thinks is cool. Uh, 
it, it makes Damon out to be like a McCoil, a McCoil, you know, like he's just turned on by the idea <laughs> of uh, is he turned on by the idea to keep the bloodline pure or is he turned on by the idea that like we as Targaryens get to do stuff that the average person doesn't. Hmm. Yeah, could be that the the taboo. He's attracted to the taboo of it all. Um, yeah, that could be, too. I mean, Jesus, it seems like incest is a very popular category and <laughs> all the top porn sites. Right. For uh, whatever reason. Which has long been a, like, what the fuck? You know, I've talked about <laughs> this for like five years on podcasts. Like, are we sure this is something that we really want to encourage? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, is it, you know, I, I get it. Step brother and step uncle and all that shit. But God damn. Well, um, come on. The step is just the veil that they use to make it. No, I get No, I, 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 I to yes. make it somewhat. OK, but yeah, 100 percent, 100 percent. But yeah, it, you're you could be right. Um I read it as like, you know, I'm all up in the politics of Game of Thrones, right? In the subterfuge and the sure. plots, the wheels within wheels. And so when I see something like that, I'm like, well, he pulled the hood off so that she would be recognized by others. And, and I think it's a valid way to read it. It, it still could be. But it, it doesn't appear like anything has come to fruition from that. Um, unless he's working well, she was with Mysteria, right, I mean, which would be super weird given all the scenes after. Well, so like... Definitely things came from it because she was seen there in his company. And then that got back to the king, which caused a big rift between Alicent. And now now I totally. can't imagine that Damon intended all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, even if he did. But say, did Otto uh, intend it? Because like Otto's statement of my girl, you've got to cleave to her and beg for her mercy. That 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 doesn't ring nearly as well if Rhaenyra and Alicent are still tight and there hasn't been this betrayal, you know, because Alicent doesn't. I mean, Rhaenyra doesn't have mm-hmm. to lie to her. So, like, it's just on the realm of possibility that some alliance of Otto and Missaria intended to cause. And then it could be like, like as Littlefinger does a lot of things where. It's not like he has a plan, like a pool player. Like, I'm going to hit the eight ball with the cue ball, and it's going to bounce off this and hit the nine ball into this corner pocket. It's more like I'm just going to slam this ball into this group of things as hard as I can, and I'll use my ability to think on the feet to, to play the balls as they lie. Yeah, you know, he loves like, breaking. Yeah, I don't have anything. I'm trying to climb this ladder. It behooves me to cause chaos above me so that I can maybe jump a few, few rings. Um, yeah, I just haven't seen any indication that the primary player here was in on it. Like if Damon mm. has to pull her hood back or take her hat off and pull his hood back so that people can recognize her, where is he in the rest of this plan? Yeah. And why would he go along with it if he wasn't involved in the rest of the plan? You know? Yeah. So it could be like he wanted her then to be seen because maybe that's also the kinky thing, too. It's like, oh, I won't be. Yeah, <laughs> sure. it's a voyeur thing. And it could also be just, a, oh, yeah. Oh, let me see that silver hair. I mean, who who knows? He's a crazy. He's a fucking crazy person. It seems like he is. Yeah, you could be right about the the silver hair kink. There's still lots of hot D left to talk about. We'll be right back after the break. And now back to hot D. We have a lot of feedback about Sir Kristen, as you can imagine. First up, Chris. I think this might be the first episode that I have major problems with. This wedding comes close to having a Martha. Why did you save that name? I think that's a Batman quote from Donna Justice moment for me. I didn't mm. fully understand the leap they're making here. All right. Before we go, I think Zach Taylor's DC projects largely a mess. 
garbage. I, yeah. I always I thought that was actually somewhat cool that like there is this historical artifact of Batman and Superman's moms having the same name. And in a moment of rage that like cutting through enough of Batman that he stopped beating the holy hell out of Kal-El for a bit. Mm-hmm. What doesn't make sense is why Superman would call his mom by her, his, her given name. <laughs> you know, right. Right. Like, you know, make sure Martha's cool. Why would you? Would, yeah. yeah. Like you don't give the last name, which would be helpful for uh-huh. in a phone book kind mm-hmm. of way. You don't specify that. You just like Martha. Like, ah. So anyway, for one for one, there's no way Joffrey could be certain that Kristen Cole is sleeping with the princess. There are many reasons a person can look sad at a wedding. Maybe his mom's die. OK, I, I granted, granted. But mm-hmm. like I argue, I think if there's any if there's any people that could suss out the romantic entanglements of a room, it'd probably be people that have more experience trying to find hidden motivations because they have to keep their own, you know, underground at pain of death. Right. So, like, you know, if you, you either you either get that or you don't. And also, there's also they could be wrong. You know, like he could have uh, he could have seen uh, someone looking pensive and assumed it was that. Right. You know, like there's he just he just he just happened to have a gut feeling and he's right. I, I remember sitting in church when I was a kid, when I was like in my teens and I, you know, you, you got crushes on people at church. You're sitting there. Everybody's in the big room and you're like kind of looking, you know, you're making eyes at him across the room. Right. Yeah. And I thought I was so smooth. I thought I had nobody's nobody knows anything that's going on here. And now I look back on that as adult and I'm like, I was a fucking idiot. Everybody knew. Everybody saw me looking at other people. Come on. What am, what am I thinking? True. Right. True. And, like, and they were picking up on it. They knew. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like you're never as, as sly as you think you are. And Christina definitely has like those kind of eyes in this scene. Yeah. In my opinion. And they're both like, you know, I know Kristen's a little older than Rhaenyra, but they're both relatively speaking young, you know? So their oh, yeah. their impetuousness and thinking they're clever than everyone um, in the room is probably going to be at its apex right about now. Um, he mentions to walk up to a member of the Kingsguard and accuse him of having sex with the princess is such a reckless move. Seems like he could have been put to death just for slander. Put a pin in that because another emailer has a, um, a connected point here in a minute. Lastly, I've watched this scene about three times now, and each time my understanding is that Joffrey is trying to make Kristen an ally, not an enemy. I don't really get the threat in the conversation because he also gave up his own secret. One of the writers said on the official podcast that Kristen was worried that if the secret got out, he would lose everything. But now he's brutally murdered someone in front of hundreds of witnesses and ruled ruined the royal wedding. He's totally safe now. I get that they wanted their own red wedding moment, but this one just didn't make sense to me and wasn't earned at all. Well, like, no, clearly he doesn't think he's going to get away with this. He's going out to the God's woods right. to kill himself immediately after. He's like, I, he, this isn't logical. He snaps. Yes. He snaps. He freaks out. He snaps and he makes a, mis- a huge mistake. Yes. Yes. And I, like, I, I think it's a mistake to say that this was a calculated logical. This isn't Michael Corleone settling all <laughs> right. family business and then going out to Nevada so that he can go legit. Right. This is no. a man who is the whole like just got out of a conference of the queen where she he confesses a secret and he's got this, you know, s- sword of Damocles heading over his head in his mind because it's getting it's not like the princess forgave him. Hmm. She just stood there in stony shock silence and dismissed him. Like that 
could come back with a vengeance later on. Like she could tell her husband, the king, and then it doesn't matter how clement she wants to be. It's it's so like there's so many things. And and he's just sitting there. Like I said, he looks like a landed fish uh, throughout this whole thing. And I think this pushed him over the edge. And it was your classic crime of passion. Yeah, absolutely. You know, 15 minutes ago, you asked Sir Kristen Cole, hey, you're going to beat to death anyone in this room? He'd be like, hell no. Hell no. What are you but talking about? he ended up yeah. doing it. Right. Right. Um, Nicole says, this is the related. You can now take the pin out of that one statement. How Sir Kristen walks away as a hero. I think there's an easy way for Sir Kristen to walk away as a hero after the wedding. The only three people to know about Rhaenyra and Kristen's relationships are themselves and Alicent. Joffrey and Lane or rightly guessed, but no one's ever confirmed it. The best plan for Kristen is to tell the truth of Joffrey's conversation with them. He can then deny that he's in a relationship with Rhaenyra, and he was simply doing a sworn duty to protect her. Joffrey posed a threat if he became jealous or could derail a potential heir. Alicent can offer to stay silent, saving Kristen and Rhaenyra's reputation, and negotiate her own children's safety and potentially more power power for the high towers in exchange. Rainier have to agree or the truth will come out. This is a pretty if if everybody gets in a room and gets their story straight, I think this would work. Like Sir Kristen being like, this guy came up and accused me of fucking the princess and I punched him. Like what the hell you saw? I'm the I'm I'm her sworn shield. And then he pulled a knife on me. Can you fucking believe mm-hmm. it? And yeah, I got a little bit out of hand, but who, what, what red blooded uh, man of the realm, sworn brother of the King's guard wouldn't in these circumstances. I think that is a vicious lie and total horseshit, <laughs> uh-huh. but yeah, I think that would really play in the realm. The, the fly in their ointment here could be Lenor. I think that's the thing we've neglected to really discuss is, how is this going to affect or change Lanor? Because yeah, he he knows the Rhaenyra has someone. Uh, uh, what fuck? What do they call it? Paramore. Paramore. Yeah. Um. He knows that Rhaenyra is out there doing something with somebody, and Joffrey sussed out that it was Kristen, and I think Lanor agreed. Lanor is definitely not going along with any lie you want to tell about this. So does Lenor want to be king or because that's the other pressure is like, does he want uh to be king consort? Does does he going to defy his parents? Is he going to blow up this marriage arrangement, come out publicly as gay? Sure. Yeah. I I think that's a big question, too. Yeah, it's a a pressure point for him because I don't think he hates force him into into lying. But do you think he hates Rainier after this? No. I don't think he would assume that Rhaenyra had anything to do with this. Um, I wouldn't think so either. I would think that he thinks so. so it's like, I don't think he would be out to get her. Yeah. Um, but this is going to change him, right? I, I view Lenor as kind of like innocent, sweet, um, you know, between the woohoo and, and all the other scenes we've seen him in mm-hmm. his dragon riding capabilities. It, it seems like he's just kind of a kid in a lot of ways because he is young. Um, but this is going to make him more cynical and and yeah, you more think. damaged, I would think. But as you say, it's young. We're eventually going to have a flash forward into the future. And, you know, we saw like uh, Rinley was really or not Rinley. I'm sorry. Loris was pretty bereft when Rinley was killed. Mm-hmm. But he eventually got over it and found sure. other men to to pass the time with. So it's like I, you know, time does heal all wounds. I 
I definitely think that there's going to be a, a grudge between him and Sir Kristen till the end of days. Oh yeah, like 100%. I don't see how they could they there there couldn't be. Um, it's one thing in the book where this you know like maybe Sir Kristen had it out for him in a tu- attorney duel, but like you know shit, people die in attorney. Yeah. Um, this is a lot different. Yeah, and if he does become the king consort, uh, <laughs> that they'll be forced to work uh, closely together from time to time. So hmm. that should be interesting. Cindy says to add to Sir Christian's motivations, remember that he found out the princess had drank in the moon tea. So in his mind, she might have already been pregnant and another betrayal. I didn't think this, but I wonder if that's where a young man's mind would go that like, oh, my God, she probably had my child and she drank the moon tea. And do you think there's any of that aspect to it? Um, Maybe. Especially with the conversation on the boat where he's spurned in another way. Um, Yeah. That could just add up. In our non-medieval life, this occasionally comes up where, you know, the uh, potential parents don't agree on the fate of a potential child. And sure. they, you know, they, they uh, in, in our society uh, <laughs> at present asterisks, the would the woman gets to decide. I know that that can cause some uh, some some complex feelings over on the male, the male side of things. Um, and I would imagine that that would go, you know, double if you're talking about a medi- more explicitly medieval mindset. Uh, yeah, so that he, could be another layer of uh, emotion or, or like you said, betrayal. Yeah, we'll see if he brings it up, because so far all he's brought up is the relationship angle. Yeah. Grace from London says, this man, Sir Christian, is the biggest drama knight I've ever seen on TV. He and Rhaenyra had sex once, and he really thought she was going to give up the entire crown for a one-night bonk. Yeah, he was coerced into it, but he could have said no at any point. She didn't force him to betray his knighthood. Secondly, he went and grasped, uh, or get, grasped her up? Gassed her up to Alicent with basically no hesitation. Uh, I don't know what that that's maybe I typoed that copying over. Then he continues to act like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Then he continues to act like a sulky, moody child throughout the rest of the episode, beats another man to death and then tries to kill himself. I looked up the rest of the character on a song of ice and fire wiki and don't do this listeners unless you want to be spoiled. Yes, of course. Yeah. And because I couldn't believe it took just one episode for me to dislike a character that I really liked. Do you and Jim and uh, do you, Jim and Aaron thinks his actions are justified? Uh, Justified? Oh, fuck. No, (laughs) of course. Yeah. No. Uh, Can I understand why a person would act this way with his upbringing and his position and, you know, what he knew about Rhaenyra and how he thought this was her first time? Even though it's like, and I, and you know, you run that through like a system of en- enforced uh, patriarchal values. Yes, but do mm-hmm. does is it justified? No, not at all. Oh, of course not. Uh, this is no I, way to com- to comport yourself. <laughs> right. Uh, this is not leal. This is in no, no. way leal. It uh, is the opposite of leal. Yeah. It. Here's the other thing that I try and remember is there are a lot of time jumps, and we saw them being very close with each other years ago in terms of showtime. So they've spent years. He spent years in her service 
so alone spending the night together like they right. camped they out under the stars close relationship this is intimate not, and everything oh, but we sexual. slept once together on some some random night that was yeah. like oh i barely know this little girl no they're probably the best of friends at at least and so he assumes like this is the night this is the night where the relationship here finally changes right yeah and i think that he like that's the thing you go back and watch that scene in episode four where he's slowly taking off arm and he's really looking, you know, he's really looking at that white cloak. Like, yeah. this is a big deal from him. We already talked about the problematic aspect of, you know, that Rhaenyra is in a very real position of power over him and, like, how much power does he have to say no. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's been, you know, he's been with Rhaenyra since the time she was, like, 14, 15. He probably knows that she doesn't fuck, she hasn't been fucking around. And that she's, you know, like they have had this close relationship and she's choosing him. And I think he thought it meant something. And what he doesn't understand is that Damon's just like, you know, have you ever tried just kind of fucking swinging niece? Have you ever just tried like, you know, going to a key party or some shit like that? And she's got a completely different and and already based on the Targaryens have a very completely different way of the, the way they view sexuality and things like that, too. You know, they marry brother or sister. They have multiple wives. Sometimes they they don't truck with the faith of the seven in totality. So, like, yeah, yeah, there's a lot. There's the, they, I just think they viewed things very differently. Which brings us to the next point smoothly. Uh, Mike says, canonically, the Dornish are an extremely horny people. Mm. Uh, you'll recall Prince Oberyn and his paramour and uh, sure. his waxing poetic about the Dornish views on sexuality and gender. Lest I be accused of painting an entire race with a broad brush, I'm only basing this on what I've seen and read about them. Of all the children that the gods created, <laughs> it turns out Oberyn was the black sheep. Like, he, he's, he's, yeah, the, the, the Dorn didn't pretty much know. The Dorn, I think, is safe to say their sexual mores are a little bit more relaxed. Um, of all the children of the gods created on Planetos, the Dornish famously throw their affection around freely and wildly. There's no shame of being a bastard in Dorn, for example. All this leads me to question Sir Christian Cole's bona, fi- bona fides as a Dornishman. Let me get this straight. Sir Kristen has offered the unofficial position of Her Majesty's fuckboy. Not only has he turned it down, he becomes suicidal over it. Did Rhaenyra make the fatal mistake of boning down the one Dornish prude? I don't know, man. Seems kind of suspect to me. <laughs> oh, boy. Where do you start? Um, first of all, he's he's the only Dornish Kingsguard I've ever seen. Okay. Where to begin? Uh, first of all, there's there's no person or group of people that's like a monolith. Like you can make uh, mm-hmm. some broad generalizations about certain cultures and people and where they're from and what they think. But like there's always going to be, as you say, the prudish Dornishman. There's always going to be the, you know, wildly horny and irresponsible first uh, Northernman. Um, but also, I think that um, Sir Kristen is is culturally Westerosi. I mean, he's not Dornish. Okay. He was raised yeah. in a, uh, a castle in the Reach and he's out. He's been at war and killing Dornishmen. It's kind of like uh, Worf in uh, Mm -hmm. the next generation. Like, he's definitely a Klingon, but as he meets other Klingons from the Klingon Empire, he realizes he's not really like a Klingon. Um, In some ways, he's more Klingon than Klingon. In other ways, he completely misses subtle nuances of their culture and what they believe 
uh, because he's only seen that at a remove and from afar. So even if you said that there's like a, some kind of genetic disposition to be horny in Dornishman, which I, 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 I kind of reject um, culturally, he's he's not a Dornishman. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, let's move on to Brad, which I think no, there's two more two more Sir Kristen takes. It goes regarding Sir Kristen. I think he's been misread all along. He's a low born thug who killed his way into being a knight. He broke his vows, confessed because he's stupid, killed an innocent guy because his dumb feelings got hurt and is only alive because the queen ordered him not to kill himself. This well, is a pretty I, cer- I, I certainly uh, haven't seen anything that makes me think he's smart. <laughs> Let's say yeah. that. So maybe I, I agree with this. I uh, This is certainly a valid reading that like in any other circumstances, he would never have gotten this. But since like there is very low conflict and he uh, this is a very low conflict port part of the kingdom. And he happened to be living on the only active border of a war zone and was able to kill, uh, you know, a bunch of Dornish people that he distinguished himself. That's the only reason that he got like the Rhaenyra's attention mm-hmm. that he actually had combat experience. So, like, I don't know if he's a low and he's also lowborn, but like, you know, lowborn thug. I don't know that uh, that might be painting with too broad a brush, but like I can see this take for sure. Yeah, I don't see anything to contradict it necessarily. Uh, Bethany says, uh, closing out our Sir Christian Cole Chronicles, I wanted to write about and defend Sir Christian Cole a bit. Uh, The fandom seems to be giving him lots of hate, and he deserves it for his violence against Joffrey. uh, But there's a... Boy... There's there's a sentence you don't hear much in Game of Thrones history. He deserves it for he deserves the hate for his violence against Joffrey mm-hmm. uh, Lonmouth. But there's a reason the White Cloaks take vows of celibacy and it's not just a puritanical sexual purity thing. It's because they have intimate access to the royal family and the royals have to trust them not to exploit that access. We've seen what happens when a member of the Kingsguard sleeps with the queen. The realm goes to war. Need we all rewatch Game of Thrones season one? The princess must remain chaste and faithful to her husband because the consequences of having an illegitimate child are war and death. This is not the world we live in, thank goodness, but there are stakes for the royal family in Westeros. Even the suspicion of illegitimacy can spell disaster. I mean, what's even the efficacy of Plan T? Like 90% effective? Would you gamble the safety of the realm on T? Hilariously, I do think you're supposed to understand like moon tea is like if it's properly brewed by a maester is like, yeah, super effective and 100%. relatively safe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at least that's I think it's reputation from the book. So I, I, I agree. You don't want your Kingsguard getting sexually involved uh, with the people that they're guarding. Here's here's my suggestion in that case. Just preemptively geld them. Let's let's just say okay. You take your you take your go oath. the unsullied, yeah. Uh huh. You you get cut, and now you can be Kingsguard. You know, you could make that. You, you could you could make the argument that like, well, what do you even need it for? You're not right. going to pass on titles or lands. You can't mm-hmm. marry. You can't have sex. This is just. I don't know. There, there's something to the temptation, like because you also like you know why did uh, God put the knowledge sure. of good and bad in the garden, right? You know, because otherwise, yeah. how can mankind have free will? Has never um, made it. Has never made much sense to me. But okay, right. Um, 
Right. Yeah, but you're right. I know you, I like to hideously tempt my children with forbidden uh-huh. fruit. That's how the oh, only yeah. way I know they're loyal to me. I like the cookie jar open with a little fan blowing I do. the smell of yeah, wafting, the wafting the freshly baked chocolate chip cookies, uh-huh. and just I'm waiting, I'm waiting to like for when and and with not just punishment, but eternal punishment. Yeah, yeah. And then I cook a four course meal that takes hours and hours to prepare, and tell them you can have the cookies when dinner is ready. Yeah. Uh, no, I, and I think like oaths, oaths, oaths are made to be broken, right? <laughs> like if you, ha- if you have to say to someone, Hey, I it's want you to, way to look at oath, it. Uh-huh. The only outcome there is that they break it. That's the only outcome. Man, that seems like a very modern way to look at it though. Because like, if you are, li- if you live in a culture, this condition where breaking an oath is like this monumental <laughs> oh, taboo, that's like saying, fucking your sister is just fucking your sister right like there's a huge fucking taboo against it and people are going to think you're a crazy person that can't be trusted in society because you can't mm-hmm. break one of our few sacred you know the uh, sacred uh, restrictions on that kind of stuff like I think we live in a we live in a oh god damn we manifestly live in a society where no one gives a shit about their word and any kind of concept of we say we do oh, yeah, but we totally. certainly don't value it we certainly don't value it yeah, um, I, I state it ironically when I say rules are there to be broken. They're mm-hmm. clearly not. They're there to be followed. Uh, mm-hmm. But y- yeah, I, I don't think that like taking an oath is the end all be all. Whereas like gelding somebody, you're at you're at worst guaranteeing that they can't have children with the the royalty that they're protecting. I think I had that conversation when go. That's like a secret that the king's guard keep as you get gelded. They're like, okay, you want to take the white cloak? Sure. Okay, we're going to geld you. What the fuck? I'm not going to get gelded. It's like, what? You said you were going to have children and you were going to have sex. You already took your so like, What's What's the problem here? Sounds to me like we we got a fucker over here. We uh-huh. got someone who thinks he's going to fuck as the king's guard geld him because that's the punishment for doing that too. You don't <laughs> have to get not being one of to be he's gelded. Getting gelded. It's a it's a logic <laughs> trap, right? And if you don't want to be yeah. gelded, it's prima face evidence of that you want you want to fuck around. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, so, gosh, Bethany, let's let's get back to Beth. She's been waiting patiently in the corner while we do our jackassery. Uh, the moment <laughs> that got me in the scene is where he turns or he asks her to run away with her, and and she has this immediate refusal. You think I'd choose infamy in exchange for a bushel of oranges or a ship to a shy? No, princess. He thought you might choose him. It's naive, yes, and tragically mistaken, but I see how he got there. He assumes the princess would not risk war and destruction for mere pleasure. He didn't know he'd just been revved up by her uncle at the brothel. And that's that's the point I was making 10, 15 minutes ago that, yeah, like he thought this meant something. And this was just her first step into probably a lifetime of pleasure seeking. Jesus and Christ, man, what a I, that's not a step. That's the giant leap. That's the fucking deep end. <laughs> Yeah, I, does it make sense for a person to like grow up one way and then one person bops onto the scene and's like, actually, no, you can do whatever you want, and that person just leaps into that world of possibility? I guess lots of teenagers do. I, don't I they? was gonna say at that age, yeah, <laughs> yeah I've I seen Requiem so. for a Dream. <laughs> things get things get dark and turn on turn on a dime. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kristen's getting a lot of flack for his naive and ridiculous proposal, and that's fine, sure. But I'd like to point out that Rhaenyra makes a pretty damn ridiculous proposal to Damon to kidnap her from her own wedding and marry her on Dragonstone. If you want me, show some courage and take me. Oh yeah, like this is just provocation. This isn't. She's not serious about that. 
Uh, I'm not so sure. I don't think she's serious about hmm. him cutting a swath through the Kingsguard and like literally, but kind of mm-hmm. like, hey, if you wanted me, I've been here this whole time. You should have like fought harder for me. And I don't know hmm. that she's privy to the ass kicking he got in the throne room. I don't know if like she knows all the ins and outs of the stuff, but but it, yeah. I think her point's well taken is that condemning Sir Kristen Cole does not let Rhaenyra off the hook for her bullshit that she's doing. You know, oh, no. and again, I can understand where she's coming from and I can understand the things that she's doing. But like a lot of this stuff is, yeah, I, I, I certainly wouldn't condone the, that, that, mm-hmm. the, the, the behavior she's, she's, she's depicted doing. Uh, Sir Christian, unfortunately, was just totally wrong about what story he's in. He's ashamed, jilted and hurt, angry, despairing and afraid for his life. He could be castrated or killed. Uh, then he stands guard at the wedding of his ex-lover boss, who also happens to be clearly flirting with her uncle, trying to keep it together. Meanwhile, he is alarmed that this random friend of the groom somehow knows the most explosive secret of his life. He must have felt so exposed, ashamed, and unsafe. Yeah, like I said, I understand where he gets there. Totally. and There's a reason, uh, you know, it's considered a bad idea to shit where you eat. It's just, you don't know what's going to happen, and you're really injecting a lot of emotional sriracha into the situation. There's a lot of uh, spice and opportunity for things to go wrong. Uh, Okay, we're closing to Sir Kristen Chronicles, I think, if I did my organization right. Uh, Jude is up next, and she says, I've heard a lot of praise for this episode, but I personally didn't like the directing. The blocking felt awkward, and the characters were doing uncharacteristic things in multiple scenes. Most notable is the final wedding dinner scene where I don't believe any of the characters would be so brazenly and openly doing things they shouldn't be doing. Joffrey flirting with Lenor, Damon and Rhaenyra, Joffrey and Kristen, etc. It totally took me out of the moment because it felt like a director trying to make a point rather than watching the characters interacting in a natural way. I'm surprised to hear so much praise for this scene since I found it uncomfortable and unrealistic. Was this intentional? Are we supposed to understand that the characters are getting sloppy and brazen with their behavior? Some of them. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, Rhaenyra and Damon, absolutely. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to try and talk anybody out of their opinion on a scene, uh-huh. but I personally loved it. I, I liked the sloppiness. Um, it felt real to me in a way that was compelling. Yeah, and again, there's nothing to show that makes me think these people are political geniuses. Sure. It'd be one thing if they had depicted Rhaenyra as one who carefully thinks about everything that she does and and thinks about it three three different chess moves ahead and the Damon's the same way. But they told me the opposite. They told me that mm-hmm. these people are, are crazy, impetuous, passionate, not, you know, they... To the they, point of they, risking their own lives. Like, yes. Damon literally was ready to die just to not be proven wrong by his brother. Yeah, no, they they take insane risks and they say things without thinking about it. Like think about Rhaenyra, you know, shitting on Lady yeah. Redwine for eating cakes when she's her husband's providing the second largest fleet to the re- like there's saying lots stuff of stuff around Allison. Yeah, lots of thoughtless things being and but, and, but very human mistakes. And I think that um, I think that what Damon said to her about like, we can do whatever we want and we're Targaryen like Viserys understands that that's stupid. You know, like you literally just because I'm the king and we're Targaryens doesn't literally mean we can do whatever we want. But I think Damon's immature enough and Rhaenyra is literally immature enough that they think that that's possible. Especially and maybe they Damon, think because he doesn't have much to lose. Right. Like he's not the heir. He's not the king. True. He's never going to be. He's always going to be not afraid to son. die. 
Yeah, he's he just not afraid to life. die. Yeah, he would rather he would rather die than get stuck as this shitty second son position he's in. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's like a lot of. I mean, I, I I'm I'm getting that there's a lot of type A. 4.0 GPA always turn their homework type kids in the feedback saying, I don't understand why these crazy people are acting crazy. They're just reckless and not thoughtful in a way that maybe you have a hard time conceiving of. And I get it like that. Sure. sure. That um, I wonder what I would think if I watched the first few seasons of walking dead, because I really wrote like, like thought about how cra- like crazy and dumb and stupid. Some of these people were, but as I've gotten older and I've seen how crazy, dumb and stupid people can be in certain situations, like I don't know, even the zombie apocalypse wises some people up. But uh, yeah, sloppy and brazen. I think that's going to be the new house words for whatever cadet branch that the Targaryens Damon ends up launching here. Uh, Matt from Briston says, I've been watching MMA for 15 years and never has a man turned another man's face into a pure mush by using fists alone. Am I supposed to understand that Christian somehow used his armor to pummel Joffrey or is he just incredibly strong, perhaps second only to Harwin or is this to showrunners uh, or is it just to showrunners or fans of the boys and want to shock us with a similar aesthetic? Well, I mean, come on. The the boys didn't invent ultra violence. Game of Thrones has plenty of that in its history. Um, yeah, I mean, this is like Fight Club, you know, like this is destroying something beautiful. Oh, yeah. No, I think it's definitely there for shock value. I don't know if he literally could have done this to a human skull, but yeah, he's given Harwood a run for his money for sure. The thing about MMA that you got to realize is whenever a fighter becomes unable to defend themselves, there's always a large gentleman there to spread, put, you know, to, to, to shoot in there and put himself between the assailants to keep the violence from going beyond, you know, to, to this level. But, and you also look at the they skull and like they all wear gloves. Uh, the 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 skull has these like orbital processes that are extremely delicate. You know, like you uh-huh. break those, you lose a lot of the shape of your face. And I also noticed that like while Sir Christian Cole wasn't wearing like heavy gauntlets, he did have these greaves that seemed like they kind of like went to cover over his like knuckle area. And they might've acted like steel Mm. brass knuckles as he's pounding this guy's face. And, you know, Kristen could have also broken every bone in his hand, but I, I think it's possible for a strong, and I I think Sir Kristen Cole is also pretty strong. You know, he bested every other night in this tournament. Um, I think it's possible for a man to beat another man's face into this kind of shape. You would probably break a lot of hands and your, your, or a lot of bones in your hand, but Mm-hmm. Yeah, once once you start shattering those, you know, it's one thing if he's beating in the top of his head because that's pretty thick bone oh, yeah. or the j- jaw process. But like you can break a guy's jaw and and cave in like that whole sinus area. That's just all honeycomb, lightly built structure. So, yeah, once I, I, I think it's I think it's possible anyway. Uh, OK, I can't I can't say that I've seen it either because I live in a civilized, polite society. But yeah, um, but it, it is meant to be gruesome too. Let, let's not. Yeah, kid around whether it's possible or not. They were like, we need to make this extremely gruesome. Yeah, yeah. So, so you'll be angry at Kristen, right? Like, yeah. So, so you won't sympathize with him. Yeah, like like uh, this same crowd that cheers lustily at people dying in the tournament, not at blood splat. Like you can see, like around, like everyone's kind of sickened and like this is fucked up. Like by mm-hmm. highborn, entertained by gladiatorial combat. You know, great house standards. This Might is just be because it's happening in their great hall. 
uh to one of their own yeah unprovoked yeah, yeah. be like oh that's that's horrible i don't know i guess all that tourney shit's happening to their own too those are the sons and daughters of the high lords and ladies and sometimes the yeah. high lords themselves but that's that's in an appropriate setting right you expect violence at a tournament that's true like you, you go to a boxing match at a wedding feast <laughs> Yeah, if you go to a boxing match, nobody's like, oh, my God, there's people striking each other. Yeah, <laughs> Why doesn't we're, someone stop this, right? Yeah, whereas you go to, uh, you know, uh, orchestral reciting, it's uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> someone taking down the conductor and giving him the, the, the elbows <laughs> is considered uh, not good. Deb, do you think Viserys maybe has a false sense of security about his succession? At the start of the show with Alicent and Rhaenyra being such good friends, maybe he anticipated Alicent would stay a loyal supporter of his daughter, even if she went in to have her own sons with him. Like, Alicent would be the safest option because at the time he anticipated they would both stay loyal to each other and possibly have an even stronger bond. Whereas if he had taken someone else as his wife, they may have been more ambitious to put their own children on the throne ahead of Rhaenyra. Hmm. You know... This is where I wish there was another scene where I couldn't kind of understood the calculus because but this is again where they're doing a very fire and blood thing. Why did Viserys marry Alicent? Was it because she was this attractive teenage girl who paid him a lot of attention and flattered him? Is because mm-hmm. he did this mental calculation about, well, my daughter and her, her are good friends, so this will be a less of a blow than if I take some rando, and also she's going to be more le- or less likely to want to dispute the succession. Is it because Otto or like hard pressed him to do it? Is it because dot dot dot? And we just oh. don't know. Yeah, I mean, I have my opinions. I think he got t- taken in by Allison. Um, and and now, and now Viserys is aware of that at some level or suspects it because one of the things yeah. he said is he's throwing Otto out of the, the Red Keep is like, oh, and don't think I haven't thought about the timing of the, your daughter coming into my comfort and what a distraction mm-hmm. that was. So whatever it was at the beginning, now he's got a few more wrinkles uh, of understanding about it. Totally. There's still lots of hot D to talk about. We'll be back right after the break. And now back to Hot D. Okay, Gretel B says, I was just wondering how you think Hot D will fare with the big cast turnover that's coming up. Game of Thrones lost some significant players in the first season, but it was also established a dozen core actors for the next 10 years. And Hot D, Millie Alcock, and uh, Emily Carey will be saying their goodbyes. Patty Considine was is on the way out. Most of the upcoming characters will be portrayed by child and adult actors, not having a lot of time to bond or connect with a single performer. The story and time jumps are incredibly ambitious, but I'm wondering how the revolving cast will affect the show. I think it'll be okay. I I think, yeah, I, they've done a pretty good job casting, um, so the characters sort of look like the younger versions of themselves when they get older, and I think that's going to go a long way to letting you identify with the character you either liked or hated when they were younger. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I think it'll be okay. I'm I I'm not. Let's just say I'm not. Uh, necessarily dreading like Emma Darcy replacing uh, Millie Alcock. I, I, I love Millie Alcock. I think she's great. Uh-huh. But 
I, I think the work she's done here has set a foundation for what Darcy's going to do. And I'm looking forward to that kind of because then right. we get into the point of the show where we're going to be with those characters for a long time. Um, I, I'm looking at this as sort of like table setting and they're doing a great job of it. And then the the feast is to come with the adult versions of these characters. Right. Yeah. And that's something we remarked about when we saw Yellow Jackets last season, which is like half told from the perspective of these teenage girls. And then you flash forward like 15, 20 years and you're dealing with their middle aged counterparts. Mm-hmm. And that is shocking how well that worked because they did, they did an amazing a job casting. really good job casting. And then yeah. those actors hung out together and, and collaborated on how we can come up with physical quirks. And I thought yep. I saw a lot of Millie Alcock giving Emma Darcy type of looks and stuff like the, how she held her face and kind of purses her lips and narrows her eyes. Like I, I've seen from the trailers, I think you're going to see that they probably spent a lot of time together talking about the nuances of like, you know, how is this person going to chew on their fingernails this way? And how is a person like when we feel um, threatened or when we feel secure, well, how do we act? And it's 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 you you're you're not like falling in love with the character some or I'm sorry, a person, an, an actor so much as the character. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I trust unless this is going to turn into a train wreck that you're going to have a high degree of continuity like when Emma Darcy yeah. steps onto the screen, you're not going to be like, well, this is an entirely no person. You're going to be like, this is Rhaenyra mm-hmm. stepping forward 10, 15 years into the future and seamlessly portraying this continuity of a single individual being. Uh, and if they can't do that, then they're in trouble. But like, I don't think yeah. it's it's like every other thing. It's like you can do whatever you want in filmmaking and art. You just have to do it good. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's all about execution. Yeah. Uh, Here's a question for you. Do you think it would be smart of them to make the the handoff here to the older actors before the end of the season? Because we've talked about, like, are they going to keep with these younger actors till the end of the season and then make the change and we'll jump ahead? Or is that going to feel too disjointed? Is that going to not give you that continuity that you want between characters? Doing what? Like if they do it uh, like if they wait in until the middle the of the season, season and then next season they come back and say, okay, all the characters are older and we've jumped ahead, you know, another 10 years or whatever. I mean, I've seen trailers to the show. So I, I think that would have been the riskiest play is if you actually yeah. win a whole season. I, uh, I do wonder if they're what if you're going to just come back in this episode and they'll just be the adult actors or they're going to do like that Matt Damon uh, saving Private Ryan where they just an uh, old man dissolves into a younger man and. Yeah, like a mid mid episode kind of thing. Uh, yeah, that that would be the least risky play, right? Like literally show this person when yeah. they're young, and then juxtapose that with them being old, and we will make the yeah. connection without a doubt. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly something to be worried about because it's an unknown. Like we like what we're seeing now. This has been, mm-hmm. I think, an unqualified success. I think this is better than most of us thought it would be or hoped oh, it would be. Yeah. And now we're having this, but like you could say this, you know, you, you even say it in yourself. It's like. Sean Bean and uh, who's Bobby Baratheon? I can't ever remember that guy's name. Uh, there were a lot of like big names that we kind of clung to. There were primary motivating forces of Game of Thrones, and they get off the fucking stage by the end of that season in pretty spectacular fashion. So, yeah, and you're right. They had a whole slew. But like, that's the other thing is like we have shockingly few of the players of the upcoming events, Mark Addy, Mark Addy is, uh, played the, the elder, the, uh, the, the older Bobby B, the, the, the breastplate stretch needing Bobby B. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we haven't probably even gotten half of the characters that are going to be big players uh, in, in nice. this upcoming Dance of Dragons. So, like, there's tons more people to, to love and hate to come. And I would be shocked if they fucked this up. Because from the trailers I've seen, it looks like the the people involved are doing a really good job of having that character continuity. But we'll see. I'll say it's it's been a little weird to see Lena and Lenor grow so much so rapidly, whereas mm-hmm. Rhaenyra and Allison have basically looked exactly the same the entire time. I don't think they did enough to like age down or age up those two actors. Yeah, but I feel like puberty is a hell of a drug. Entirely. Oh, oh no, I agree. Like, yeah, being being you had, twelve, you had prepubescent versus, versus postpubescent. Yeah, fourteen but, to fifteen. You like, I I just saw this as I went back to my mom's house, um, and we we had all these. Like, I went through sorting through all these pictures of family history, and like, I I don't think you could rec. I, I I don't know that you can recognize me from like four, five, six, ten. You know, but once you get to like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, like I feel like I'm recognizably. I got a beard now and I've lost a lot of hair, but like you can definitely see the facial structure is, is settling into yeah. its shape. And yeah, that uh, when that, that testosterone and estrogen starts flooding through you, uh, here's the mistake I think they change. actually made like yeah. legitimately really it's a mistake is Lena. I think they made her look way too young when she was being considered and then for way marriage. too old now. And now she, she looked like she was eight. Now she looks like she's 16 and Rhaenyra looks identical to how she looked in that same amount of time. I, I think that's the one actual mistake. I think that's forgivable because Lena was only in that one scene. And I guess she was in the press box with the, at the tourney. Like, so like, whereas boy, if you had three different actors playing Rhaenyra, you might really struggle with, but I, sure. I don't know. I think they like should just a- age down like a 14 year old or something. Um, it made, made her actually look 12 instead of eight. I, she looked so young, in but they scene. wanted that there. They wanted that. I know, like, but it's, I think it's a mistake to now like yeah. want her to be a woman full grown. Whereas Rhaenyra could hasn't be right. changed a tiny bit. So you could be know. right. I do. I will say this though. I do think that they have aged up Rhaenyra's look a little bit. She does look like an older teen and especially the way they act like they used to act a lot more girlish. Sure, sure. Um, and I think they've done a good job of like with the dress and costuming, making it seem like they were 14 and now they're like 18 going on 19. But yeah, I suppose. Walker of Dragon says, just listen to your instant take in episode five. I love how the show is portraying events as they actually happened or so the showrunner says. It brings up how biased and inaccurate historical accounts tend to be depending on who wrote them. Blood and Fire is written by maesters in the pay of Targaryen, so of course incidents like Sir Criston beating a man to death are going to be either covered up or arranged because everyone knows that he remained a Kingsguard long after these events. If he'd actually been beaten someone to death for no apparent reason without royal intervention, of course he'd be done. How long did it take for the general public to learn about JFK's dalliances or Thomas's Jefferson's quote-unquote other children? Um... This is a good point and something that um, I think George Martin mentioned in the last week or two, something about that some one of these maesters viewpoints is intentionally of like the primary the primary source. There's like three or four or five, six different primary sources cited in this era of fire and blood. We talk about mushroom. We talk about uh, uh, Septon, uh, uh, Eustace. We talk about um, I forget the the maester, but like he said that one of these people are probably 
suspect because they are either extremely pro Rhaenyra and extremely pro Alicent. Um, and because of the, the loyalties that they had and you've got a, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the bitches about history, man, is it's written by the winners and you really have to go cast your eyes over tons of primary sources to even get an understanding of the history. When we're talking about thousands of years ago, you might only have one primary source. Yeah. Or zero. Or yeah, so all you have is second-hand accounts. Walker of Dragons continues. My upcoming curiosity is whether the Grand Maester is poisoning Viserys. I tend to think that he is, either knowingly or not. Then, because of this new tension about succession, there's a concerted effort to keep Viserys alive and functional until it could be sorted out. Uh, what do you think about that, the Grand Maester poisoning Viserys? And what do you think the likelihood is it being an active versus maybe negligent kind of thing? I just. I don't know. It it doesn't take like plotting nefarious plots for me to think that an older maester might disregard the experiments of a younger maester. And that's really the only thing I've seen that would indicate he's not doing everything he can to help. So I no, I, I don't have any indication of that yet. If that's yeah. the story they're telling, they're telling it poorly. I mean, I think it's there. Like, if they want to tell that story, all the pieces are there for them to put together later. But sure. like, they could it's tell that story. But... Supposition, extreme supposition, right now. Yeah. Uh, Walker Dragons continues. You know, when the show was first announced, I thought Targaryens really boring, or at least not all that intriguing. Yeah, it's a fucked up royal family, and but the writing and acting have really brought the story to life in a way that keeps me coming back weekly. I also really like the female director of these last two episodes and how she handles the intimate scenes. I don't feel like a 12-year-old after watching two men kissing. Thanks for depicting intimacy without exploitation. Nothing like a little dancing through, uh, though, to ramp up the tension. Yeah, I think Claire Kilner has done a really good job these last two episodes. And, of course, she gets the penultimate mm-hmm. one at the end of the season, too. Nice. Um, and just, like, there's a couple of women that have been, because for a long time, it was like, oh, it's Michelle McLaren, Michelle McLaren, Michelle. Yeah. She was always, yeah, like, the yeah. person that, you know, that... Uh, really good action director and you know she, she she kept on showing up on all my favorite shows another one to keep an eye on is jennifer getzinger she is the one in my opinion that saved season three of westworld because oh my mm-hmm. god no one knew how to fucking <laughs> shoot action until she showed up and showed people how it did and i she's been doing work on other shows i mean like she did like three episodes of outer range this year Hmm. Is that, that sci-fi kind of cowboy mashup that i heard was really good but i haven't seen no me um so yeah, I think I think uh, Ms. Killer is doing doing fantastic work, and I'm looking forward to see what she does with the, uh, you know, episode nines. A uh, Game of Thrones project tend to get crazy. They do tend to have yeah. some some big wild swings. I'm gl- glad Sapochnik is not just like hogging up all the directing glory, right? Be, be like the, the one season showrunner and yeah, and then peace yeah, out. Let other people direct. Uh, Seawell says the panning shot over the food that was spoiling on the table reminded me of the story the High Sparrow told Marjorie about how he put all the effort into making rich people shoes just so he could party with his friends, only to wake up the next day to see how disgusting everything was after the liquor and the perfume had worn off, how repulsive their bodies looked bare, that they were all in a stupor and the food had already turned when he, and he saw the true form of it all. Yeah, that's a de- mm-hmm. like I, I instantly remembered that monologue once you mentioned it, but 
it did give that flavor of like, look at these people prancing and vorting, thinking they're at the pinnacle of human existence. And now look at this excess and rot and the blood and decay. Yeah, totally. I went Miss Haversham. You went uh, High Sparrow. Uh, only Jim, only Jim got only one of those references. Uh-huh. Uh, Christopher says, guys, great job as always, but I have one thing to point out to you. Everyone keeps talking about mushroom, 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 but have you noticed the name of the maester who assists the grand maester? He's none other, none other than Maester Orwell, one of the main sources for fire and blood. Extremely interesting. I did not know that. Just he is the younger uh, one. Who suggested yeah. the new poultice? Yeah, he's one of the okay. primary sources that uh, Maester Gildane, who is the compiler of Fire and Blood, cites for the Dance of the Dragons era. So we'll see if he becomes a big part uh, later on. Um, I, I would love, see, I would love to meet Septon Eustace. I would love to meet Mushroom because like, I'd like to get an idea over what their loyalties are, how much of a bullshit, I mean, Mushrooms, pretty big bullshitter. Uh, <laughs> like how prudish. Like I, I, there's a lot of things. Like you can assume that Septon Eustace is the is a more of a prudent one that's going to find a way that even if there's a tale that's more of a mushroom tale, he's going to very you know keep it keep it couched in academic language and not dwell on the massive members and all you know the pleasuring with their mouths and things like the mushroom loves to get into so i I would love to meet more of these people and i'm glad that one of them has already shown up so thanks for putting that uh, pointing that out christopher uh rafael says was it me or did it get extremely dark leading up to and immediately after the fight in the feast scene of house uh house of the dragon i just did a rewatch i noticed it the first time but this time it was so dark i had a hard time telling what was happening the first time i watched it was with the lights off and it was bad but the lights on today as i was typing away on my computer it got insanely dark it almost reminded me of the long night but i have a much better tv now so what gives I didn't. It's a dark scene being too dark, but yeah, it definitely got dark. Um, I tend to keep my living room dimmed with some tasteful backlighting uh, when I'm watching stuff, because I think that's, you know, we can bitch and moan about it, but like they kind of intend this to be watched cinematically. I don't think you're supposed to watch this with like all your windows open at high noon, you know, with all your uh, your lamps going and all that. Like it's supposed to be in kind of a darkened room with a well-adjusted television. Yeah. But I have I don't have the world's greatest television. It's a decent, you know, uh, it's not OLED. It's uh, what is the LED? OK, uh, yeah. so it gets decent blacks and all, and all that stuff. But like and, and after because Jim came over to watch the pilot and he's like, Jesus Christ, this is washed out and it wounded me. So I actually uh, the, 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 in the in the week after that, I, I went and got some reference stuff and I actually tried to get my t- television more dialed in and. Okay. Nice. With the room lights off on Sunday night, it looked perfect. Like it's it's that cool. thing where, you know, and that's the other thing. It's like when you play video games, they got that slider. Where it's like you know, here's a picture of a wolf. Adjust the slider until you can just barely see the wolf. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people to play those games where the wolf looks like it's like day glow white, and some people yeah. like to play it where you can't even really see the wolf because they like getting the jump scares and all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. I wish they I wish they did that for prestige stuff. It would be cool if they start each episode of a prestige television with like the logo of the show and you're supposed to adjust it to where you can bear. If you want the full intended experience, 
Um, but I, I'm getting to the point to where like when I saw it Sunday night, I thought it was perfect. Like it intentionally was dim and low light, but I had no trouble making out the textures of people's clothes, the detail, their expression on her face. When I watched it again on Tuesday, uh, on, on, on Tuesday morning, it was pretty bright outside. Um, but still, I didn't think it was too dark, but it's on that border. Yeah, it's tough for me to say because I, I watch it in the basement of my house so it's and you do have an oled too off. right i do yeah you have, and that's like the the current like i think that's the best if you want like really accurate Dark black levels blacks, and, yeah like pure yeah. blacks um yeah so I've got, I've got a decent tv and yeah my my environment for watching is very ideal i would say uh the other thing is like man i know when we watched i think season seven and season eight of game of thrones they were on a uh cable set top box that was maybe doing oh, 720 right. BS resolution. Uh-huh. And that makes a huge difference. If you're watching a muddy transfer, then you're fucked. Um, so I don't know if you're watching like 4K on uh, HBO or at least like a 1080p mm-hmm. stream. But like as your resolution goes down and as that degrades, yeah, that shit can look muddy real fast. Mm-hmm. Dallas and Nashville says, is it just me or are dragon eggs much smaller than they should be? If you think about the size of a dragon and how little the dragon eggs are, it's the equivalent of a chicken laying the eggs the size of pea gravel. I feel like dragon eggs should be the size of a yoga ball, if not bigger, depending on the size of the dragon laying it. Do you think it's a matter of uh, the showrunners trying to make eggs as convenient as possible to appear and be moved from one place or another? Maybe they're putting more time and effort into the ornateness of the shell as opposed to what its real size should be. Thoughts on the size of dragon eggs, Jim? <laughs> I'd never considered it until this point. I feel like there are animals that in our real world that are surprisingly big given the size of their eggs, but I'm I'm struggling. I think an ostrich well, there's, egg is there's pretty the, big, but it's pretty yeah, big, but I don't yeah. think it's in proportion to a chicken. And like a kiwi mm-hmm. lays a egg like roughly the size of its whole fucking body. <laughs> And so look at dinosaur eggs like a Tyrannosaurus. I just looked it up. The average egg size and a clutch of Tyrannosaurus eggs is 17 inches long. So it's just about the size of your forearm. Wow. OK, that's about the size of a dragon egg on Game of Thrones. Is a Tyrannosaurus shitting out too small of an egg? Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, look at Diplodocus. So I don't know. Uh, okay, look at this. Diplodocus. So this is one of the largest. This is a, a, a dinosaur I've fully grown. is 80 feet long. Its egg is roughly the size of a grapefruit. So even smaller than the T-Rex. Jeez. So like right. I, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I, even if you look at real life uh, inspiration. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't have too big a problem with these dragon eggs. Okay. Uh, Abby says, you mentioned a Viserys as genuine prophecy related concerns about Rhaenyra keeping her name to have a Targaryen on the throne. I think that's a very generous take because he didn't say anything along these lines. And even if you couldn't tell Corliss about all the prophecies, there could have been a follow up with him and Rhaenyra where he assumes assures her that this precaution has been implemented or he could have told Corliss something more than bra. You really want to end tradition just because she's a girl. Uh, I just disagree. Like, He's not going to take tell Corliss anything about this prophecy. Of course. Uh, yeah. Especially when, you know, the prestige of it is I th- is something that like Corliss would believe. And and the other thing is, like, as I talked about before, I don't think he's really treating Rhaenyra as a pure as a true peer. 
Like he only brings up this prophecy when a he's trying to hastily justify why he made her the heir, when really it's just to shine on Damon. And B, when he's disappointed in her and he's trying to make her appreciate the seriousness of what it's like to be a Targaryen leader. Absent those, it's like we never see him mentoring and tootling her. So why the fuck would he come back and be like, oh, hey, just in case you're worried that you might have to take this dude's name or fuck up the Targaryen prophecy, I've got that handled. I just don't think it would even occur to him to talk about that. So he doesn't really give a shit about the prophecy. You know, he, he goes on about it when it suits him, but when he's making decisions, he doesn't consider that strictly I don't know my mom give a shit about saying. cleaning the house on the weekends <laughs> <laughs> oh god I do think it's like no I think that's a very useful like hey young young people listen up listen up you want to cut through the bullshit of the world pay less attention to what people say yeah. or pay more attention to what people do that's going to save sure. you a lot of heartache that's going to cut through a lot of loyalty games at the, they'll play at work and in your personal life because like uh, words are wind or words are wind as George Martin likes to say uh, what people do that's what you that shows you what 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 people really care about so yeah plus if, if that metric Viserys does not care about the prophecy and I'll go to say I don't think any of these fucking Targaryens uh, a close reading of their shit reveals that none of them really give a shit about the prophecy gotcha I would also say like Corliss is making a huge ask here you know, th- this is not like a mundane thing that it's like a formality they've got to get through. This is like, this is against tradition entirely. Oh, yeah. I think that they definitely sold that like he's on the ragged edge of pissing the king off. Even yeah. even well, though the king has certain- right? It is the tradition, but he's like enforcing it and he wants to enforce it in a way that is offensive to the king. And, and the king's right. intentions. Right. So, like, he It'd doesn't like, have to invoke, oh, well, I have a special prophecy that says Targaryens need to sit on the throne. He just has to invoke, you shit. Are you really trying to usurp, like, yeah. in name the authority of my appointed heir? Get fucked. Yeah. You want the end of Targaryen dynasty after 100 years? I don't think so. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's tradition and then there's tradition, you know? Yeah. Um,. Abby says, I love Rhaenyra and Laenor doing what only could be called the dance of dragons at their wedding. Very on brand while also being a nod to things oh to come. Yeah. I mean, it's literally a dance of dragons, I guess. And it was such a goofy, stilted little Westerosi line yeah. dance. <laughs> I liked it. I especially like the flapping arm thing that they uh-huh. were doing. Yeah. That's why I never read. But yeah, great. they were doing the dance of the dragons. Mm-hmm. It's no boot scooting boogie. I'm going to tell you that much. Mm-hmm. No uh, electric slide. Also, while Sir Smooches only gets to appear in one episode, he made a lasting impact by uttering the five-star line, the man is fully construct. Truly, there are no small uh-huh. parts. I There's been more than once uh, this this week that I have uh, made done my very best ACDC impression and been like, you've been construct. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. It's a fun. It's a fun turn of phrase. Uh-huh. Uh, we we owe we owe a debt of of comedy gratitude to <laughs> the, uh, the 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 night of kisses for coming up with that one. Red Wheelbarrow says I was watching episode one and surprised at how much Lionel Strong actually spoke in the second council meeting uh, right after the heir for a day funeral. Otto recommends going away from Damon and making Viserys' daughter the next heir. Lionel Strong immediately jumps in and speaks about how the realm has been at peace for over 100 years and there would be a no acceptance of a woman on the throne. I think it's 70 years, but your point's taken. Of course, the entire council starts shouting and the king storms out, but Strong made his point clear. 
Does this show that behind the scenes, a strong family is not comfortable with the woman on the throne for the sake of the realm? This was glossed over in episode one, and then we see the strong portrayed as if he just gives it straight to the king without looking for his own interest. But was he perhaps biding his time? This is what Makes I'm me saying, bo- man. This is what I'm make- saying. Sending Laris over there to, I hmm, Lionel. I'm I'm looking at you. I'm watching you, man. Are you questioning this man's the lealness of this I'm, man's service? Look, he might be doing it for the right reasons, but. He's sowing discord amongst mm. the the heir to be and the queen. If if he had anything to do with that, well, it reminds me of like when politicians talk about their public and private positions. Like you know, privately I support this, but like my constituency supports the other thing, and I you know I have to support them. Blah blah. Like I think that like this indicates that personally, Lord Strong doesn't truck with women on the Iron Throne. Well. Man, is it that he is against women being on Iron Throne or is he saying the realm is against it? And thus, as your advisor, I have to advise against it. And are those meaningfully different? Because one is you are you are the status quo and the other is you're maintaining the status quo so as not to upset the majority. So yeah, you're also, and, you know, maybe you can justify that by saying, well, there will be war. There will be strife. A lot of people will yeah, die. A lot of people sure. will be hurt by this if we try and change the status quo. But yeah, you know, it's still a shitty status quo. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, but Red Wheelbarrow concurs with you. It says it makes me believe that Father Strong is working with his son Clubfoot to reach out and offer assistance to Allison since she already has a male heir that the realm could accept. Boy. Boy, mm-hmm. I boy, I I thought I thought uh, Lionel was so re- so leal. It's unreal, but now yeah, seeds of doubt, seeds of doubt are starting to form. They're there. I'm just saying, if I'm if I'm the king, I could be looking at what is happening here and saying, and questioning the loyalty of my servants. Mm-mm-mm. Uh Lauren reflects on the two types of feminine power on display. Uh, so let me let me go back real quick. Okay. And, and to that point, do you think the Viserys is going to be extra uh, skeptical of the things that Strong is doing here, since he's just had to dismiss dis, uh, miss one of his hands? Is he going to be looking more closely at the actions of his hand, saying, "I need to make sure this next hand is better than the last hand." Man, I got from this last episode that Viserys thinks that he finally has a hand he can trust. The way he okay. was talking to Lionel in his bedchambers as his arms rotting off. Like, mm-hmm. I, 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 to me, I it wasn't right. like, I need to be more careful. It's more of, yeah. But that's... Yeah. And that doesn't say what, what Strong's true intentions are either, so... Totally. Anyway, Lauren wants to reflect on the two types of feminine power on display here at Hot D. Says you spoke a little about how Fire and Blood did not explicitly say that Rhea Royce died at Damon's hand and that the show here and as in other instances has, quote unquote, filled in the gaps. I wonder if Rhea's death is, uh, as it appeared in the show, acts as something as a warning for Rhaenyra. Rhea flatly declines her cousin, Sir Gerald's help on the hunt, saying that she prefers to ride alone, leaving her and subsequently her entire house open to Damon's machinations. Don't we see Rhaenyra doing the same thing? 
For a long time, she refused marriage. She clearly wants to stand in her own power, both as a woman. Think of how she stands for what she wants with Damon, Kristen, and Lenor in this episode, and as the heir. But is the realm ready for that? And standing on her own and badly wielding power, will she leave herself vulnerable as Rhea did? You contrast that with Allison's approach to power in this episode. She never says what she wants or claims any authority. She takes more of a traditional approach to feminine power in this world. Uh, but we see her as powerful just the same. We see her begin to wield power not by force or will, but through influence over her husband, Sir Kristen, and I suspect eventually through her son, Aegon. Man, this reminds me of old school Peggy and Joan from Mad Men. Where like Joan sure. was the person who was adept in wielding power within the existing status quo uh, and mm-hmm. structure of this corporate America in the 50s and 60s. And Peggy was the one being like, no, fucking damn it. I'm going to go in on my own terms and do it my own way. Yeah. And initially, Joan had a lot more success. And Peggy had so much shit thrown in her face. But in the end, like, I think Peggy's approach was de- was was determined to be the correct one. And Joan eventually, abro- mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, embrace that. I wonder because that's the thing. It's like the skills you need to excel within an existing system are obviously not the skills you need to dismantle <laughs> and reform that system. Sure. So. You're yeah. always going to be more lightning rod doing the reforming and restructuring and dismantling. And I guess it's just timing and historical mm-hmm. fate that determines which one is best. You know, there's yeah, one safer. There's always pain. There's always right. pain that comes with disrupting anything. So and there's pain. There's pain conforming yourself to the existing system, too, because you true. have to yeah. buy into some of the bullshit, like probably at a deep internal level. Which and is I don't think the Allison's makes sense done to that. disrupt unjust and ridiculous status quos, right? Like, yeah, there's yeah. going to be pain either way. Let's just get to the good part. Yeah, uh, which which society says oftentimes you first because <laughs> sure. it is absolutely a, yeah it isn't a fun path to the trod. And the people who you know have inve- have vested interests in the current system are comfortable. They've set up a system that works for them. They don't want sure. to, want to disrupt it, right? Even yeah, if it 100%. doesn't work for everybody. Uh, Sumu says quick take probably obvious but I've not heard anyone say if Damon hasn't consummated the marriage doesn't it make it void therefore won't be entitled to his late wife's inheritance we didn't talk much about the inheritance of runestone we'll have to see how that plays out Mm, I bet they consummated it's just no offspring came from it right well so later Rhea says you've come for the finally consummate. Is that because like Damon even couldn't give it, get it up that first night? Is oh. it because he couldn't finish? That's or what she says. Hmm. yeah, she says you are you here to consummate? So like, I don't know what she means by consummate. And also you got to, the, the real question is who in the realm knows they haven't consummated their marriage because sure. you're right. An unconsummated marriage, this is something that Tywin made a point to Tyrion again and again and again. You've got to fucking yeah. bed the Stark girl because if you don't, things can get fucked. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone could prove that a marriage was unconsummated, yeah, I think in this period of time, it would be seen as invalid and null mm-hmm. and void. Um, okay. Interesting. But is Lady Rhea out there running her mouth about how unconsummated their marriage is? Is Damon? It doesn't seem like it. <laughs> yeah. How, how's Royce going to I guess I shouldn't say Royce Gerald gonna make that claim 
Mm-hmm. You'd think he would have advanced it too if he's like, you know, if, if Damon says, like, I'm going to go inherit your shit. He's like, you're going to inherit shit. You didn't, re- you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't consummate the marriage. That's, that's, but say, I was like, how did they get away with not doing a betting ceremony? Because that was the whole uh-huh. point of the betting ceremony in medieval societies, as we saw practice in mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, is you carried along and, and oftentimes watched and actively <laughs> participated in that first betting. So you know yeah. the P went into the V successfully and the deal was done. Yeah. You know, uh, which maybe just yeah. have a different standard. Maybe the vows could be the standard by which uh, marriages are consummated. <laughs> sure. You know? sure. Do you have to go watch it or could you just say, yeah, they're married officially when we marry them officially? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll have, to, we'll have to see. Each and every one of them is what I'm getting at. They just wanted to watch the deflowering. Yeah. That's what it is, you know. Uh, Russell says Rhea Royce makes a reference to sheep being prettier, which indicates that gossip has escaped the small council. Do you think this is a case of just that gossip being gossip, like real Mm. housewives shit? Or does this indicate the Otto was working a lot harder to undermine Damon? That could be. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if Otto's leaking uh, dirty laundry. Also, are we sure that Damon hasn't been saying this to everybody that asks about lady royce like i i don't know this is confined Maybe. to a small council him you know this bronze bitch and this mm-hmm. and that and the other about her could be seems like he's the type of guy who is trying to you know again uh, my read Viseria? on this was um i'm ooh. sure he's badmouthed his wife to her almost Has certainly to, almost certainly yeah because because my my takeaway was that this was damon trying to get ahead of his bad press like if if if, if uh, Lady Rhea ever said Damon just can't fucking get it up and he's terrible in bed, he's yeah. already got the offense. Like nah, Damon just thinks you're shit. You're gross. You're 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 mm-hmm. you're you're just one of his ugly veil women. Um, right. He'd just challenge whoever to get it up with her because she's so horrible. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think the realm is going to naturally try to take the testimony of a man. A good-looking, right. wealthy prince over, you know, she's a high-born lady, but not on the scale of three. And even then, like, just man versus woman. I think that the Westeros would probably take the man's word over the woman, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, some corrections real quick. Dylan says, in the beginning of the main episode, Aaron mentions the High Towers using a green flame to call their banners new lore, but it's actually Gurm canon, according to Fire and Blood. Here's a line from a chapter in Fire and Blood called Sons of the Dragons. Uh, which shouldn't be a spoiler since it predates the House of the Dragon story. So as atop the high tower, the green beacon fire turned a baleful green as Lord Martin Hightower called his banners. Yeah, I okay. I thought it was new lore, and my way to check that is usually I go to the House Hightower wiki article, and I scan through it to see. I, I searched for green beacon, and I didn't see anything that wasn't referencing this episode. And in the couple minutes I had before I sat down and recorded a podcast, I thought that was due diligence enough. But I several people informed me of this. Mia culpa. Uh, this is established lore that they were leaning into, which is super cool, which is super cool. Uh, Sarah I, I says, hey, the other the other colors. Do they light it up like blue when dinner's ready? Do they light <laughs> it up like, I don't know, a, a certain flavor of pink when it's like your mood earth? Your 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 mood uh, status on uh, what was that? Uh, uh-huh. uh, what was before? What do we have before? MySpace. Yes, MySpace. Oh, yeah. Christ. I haven't yeah. thought about MySpace in I know t- decades. They burn the blue flame when they're feeling kind of sad. I haven't thought about MySpace since people are still using MySpace. 
Is that like the boon the but they they burn the blue flame when the Lord's feeling uh like he wants the vague post? He's just he's, he wants his ban- banner yeah. lords to be like, what's wrong, my lord? Is there something wrong? Are you okay? Um, yeah. Those attention-seeking high towers, they just the worst. Every other week, they're lighting up the blue flame. You already have a high tower that you set on fire, so everyone from miles around <laughs> looks at you. Now you got to do this shit. Come on, come on. All right, Sarah says, hey, guys, Joffrey Lawnmouth is the Knight of Kisses because the House Lawnmouth symbol is uh, skulls and kisses. This uh, of all the kisses, dude, of all the sigils I've seen on House of the Throne or or Game of Thrones, this is one of them because it's literally an alternated checkers of like uh, uh, a Rolling Stone style lips and skulls. So oh my god it is right what the, the, the choice fuck? is yours this can't be real this is fan fiction skulls or kisses this is like uh <laughs> this is like the offer that uh, Pablo Escobar gave people lead or silver <laughs> yeah. um yeah I, I still have more questions like how does how does a pair of lips end up as your house sigil yeah yeah that this this a- is just punts the question I gotta know who's the original Knight of Kisses that uh, you mm-hmm. know. You get the you get to kiss on both both cheeks, or you get the mace. There's still lots of hot D left to talk about. We'll be right back after the break. And now back to hot D. All right, uh, Cyrus says, and this is going to be kind of like our kickoff to our lore section. For the people who have been part of the uh, Song of Ice and Fire tinfoil community, they've surely heard of the theory where Danny may be misremembering the lemon tree in Bravos in the yard of the house with the red door. Theories include that perhaps it was Dorne or somewhere more south than Bravos and Essos. So this is uh, he's referencing like Danny has these dim memories of growing up uh, in the last the only place she felt truly happy in is this house with a red door and has a lemon tree in the courtyard. And a lot of people like Bravos is awful high latitude for a citrus tree to grow. What the fuck is up with that? Um so in this episode, Laris says, uh, is it Malvales, the fruit? He says a rare broom bloom. It's indigenous to Bravos, but all rights, it shouldn't be thriving here. Nature is such a mystery. I take this as Ryan Condal telling us fans that it was Bravos where Danny remembers. Here at Mal- Malvels, indigenous to Bravos, are growing and thriving in King's Landing like lemons could be in Bravos, implying that when you have the resources, you can make what is not indigenous thrive when cared for, like the Malvi- Malvales in King's Landing and lemon trees in the house of the Sea Lord of Bravos. There's even a conspicuous shot of a mural depicting a lemon tree behind Laris in this scene. <laughs> I love the show. The showrunners took the time to address a Song of Ice and Fire book theory. Ryan Connell's a nerd, and I love it. What do you think? I Sounds think this is right. fun and hilarious, and I don't mm-hmm. know if it's Condal put because, like, also this could be one of the many instances where George Martin came in and said, "Hey, I've seen people getting crazy about Danny and her memories of the Red Door and the Lemon Tree. Why don't we put? Why don't we put a little bit of cold water on that for me, for me, Ryan? Yeah. Uh, well, so, you know, if Martin really wants to put some cold water on it, maybe write a fucking book. Ah, <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> You got yeah. a place to do that. You got a platform, dude. Maybe 
Why do that do when that you get personally. paid millions of dollars for executive producing a show based on uh, your uh, still unfinished volume one Targaryen history, Fire and Blood? I don't even have a horse in this race. I'm never going to read the books, but it just feels like a slap in everyone's face. Still. My face feels slapped. I don't uh, understand. I don't understand the fan. Like, I, I just came up to this. I was talking to one of my colleagues that I felt was shocked at the viciousness to which I attacked double D's. I don't think it's that vicious. I just say that like, I thought they owed us a better ending than that. And if they didn't want to take the time and effort, if they're too tired, then they should have handed it off to somebody else. And they're like, Oh, how can you say that? They worked so hard. It did. I don't think any evidence that double D's worked hard for shit the last two years. I think the tr- the, the, the craftsmen, the tradespeople, the b- b- below the lines of people and the actors acted their asses off. I don't know about those two. And, you know, I just I don't know. I don't I don't think there's anything wrong. Like it maybe 10 years ago, you could get away with saying George Martin's not your bitch and he's not. But does he owe nothing to the fans? Does he know know nothing to his own legacy? Does he like, you know, he doesn't doesn't have have to to finish him, but but I can talk shit about him if he don't. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's that's how this works. I'm not yep. you, I'm not anyone's bitch either. I'm just a right. here guy talking right. in a microphone. People seem to like what I say. And I say George Martin needs to finish those books if he wants his legacy to be anything other than giant asterisks. Man wrote probably the best, finest fantasy this side of Tolkien. Yet he didn't fucking write The Return of the King. Uh-huh. Like Tolkien would we wouldn't be talking about that. We wouldn't be doing Rings of Power if Tolkien had stopped at the two towers, people. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Like I get respecting creators and treating them as people. And I think we should definitely. But like we can say that they're they're fucking up. And I think the double D's fucked up. I think George Martin's actively fucking up, not not finishing his books. Can't wait to see what kind sure. of hot, hot takes that's going to generate. But it's it's time for the maesters to have their say in the maesters corner. Joining me now for the Maester's Corner, as he does each and every week, from our sister podcast, Double Dragon, Maester Anthony. Uh, who's going first, you or me? Yeah, I think you should go second here because I feel like your Maester's report is going to be explosive. It's going to change everything. It could. And mine, mine's a little bit of like, ho-hum. <laughs> you're the... Uh, Actually, I, we, we got a Prince Doran uh, Mar- uh, uh, Oberyn yeah. thing. Uh, you're, I'm, I'm the flashy snake, and you're the snake mm. in the grass. That's hidden right. in cover. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, I felt like... Like, I found this research really interesting. And I, I you know, I, I hope folks appreciate that Martin's world's is not exactly the medieval world. It's not like, okay, this is basically medieval England, except for they've got some dragons. Uh, there are some crucial differences here, and I'm I'm bringing out one of the sort of the nitpicky differences between the real-life medieval world and Martin's world this episode. In so much, though, I am interested in why Corliss Valerian is so keen on having someone with his last name as King Consort. Because as you know, Aaron, um, last names did not actually begin until the 1100s. Oh, yeah, because so, I, I guess I was vaguely aware. What what did they use before then? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good or question. You're just, you're just Aaron so, because there's not, there's not more than one of you in the village. 
So it's interesting. There's there's a number of reasons why you might have a last name. But let me just say, you know, in early medieval England, they were speaking French. So let's say that you did have a name that kind of went all the way back to French aristocracy. Here are some of the last names or some of the nicknames that these kings had. Right. So you had like Louis the Lazy. (laughs) Or you had Louis the Stammerer or Louis the Fat. It's like Laris the Clubfoot. Is this? It's never anything. Yeah, yeah. Charles the Bald. Here's my favorite. My favorite is uh, Louis the Eleventh, the Universal Spider. The Universal Spider. That's got to have a story. Oh my god. Yeah, absolutely. So. It's a little bit odd that that Corliss is like, I want, you know, the name out of the ancient past that's connected to my family to enter the... It's it's a little... In this way, Westeros is more like modern America than it is about medieval mm. England. Um, in Martin's world, you've got, like, the Valerian families, you know, their their names go all the way back to the old country. And then in, you know, the, the Starks, their names go all the back to the, the first men. Mm-hmm. But in in real life, medieval England, these names are relatively new, mm-hmm. right? So so why, why would you have them? Well, if you have like a thousand Johns running around England, you might want a way to, to distinguish one John from the other. Sure. Right? So here, here's a few reasons why you might get a last name, right? So... If your last name was MacArthur, that literally means son of Arthur, right? So that there, that's pretty obvious. Right. Um, you could have a name that's connected to a profession, like Cooper. Literally means cask maker. Um, you could get a name connected to a place, like like Durham. Um, you could you could get a name for an accomplishment, right? Like Longbow or Armstrong. You know, something that you're known for. Um, you could also, your last name could also sort of reflect a well-known characteristic about you or your family. So like little John would be an example. My last name is Ladon, which means the women. So probably somewhere in my lineage, there was sort of like a, a strong matriarchal presence. And I just, by the way, it is kind of true. Like the Ladons tend to produce these strong, assertive women. Mm, the seed runs um, strong in the Ladon woman. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So, for instance, uh, th- that's why you might start getting a last name in you know the 11th century. But for aristocracy, it became a matter of inheritance, and I think this is more closely aligned to maybe you know Corliss's concerns. You were in a better position legally if you were known to be connected to your state. So all of a sudden, we have surnames become family names. Now, in, in Martin's world, the family names are like as old as the hills. Right. But in medieval England, they would have been rather new. Mm. And so basically, there were rules about what names you could take. And some countries forced certain names under lower classes. Um, <laughs> really? And yeah, they didn't want people rising in social rank. And and if there was a legal recourse to have, if you had a, a special name, 
They did, and, and for instance, Jews were prohibited from taking names associated with Christians in, oh. in a lot of uh, countries. So, like, it's like because I, I know, um, you know, my family, German immigrants, uh, things got pretty dicey here in the country around World War mm-hmm. One, and a lot of my family anglicized their names just to avoid. That's right. um, we did not. We we stayed stayed true to the German roots, but uh, a lot of them did. So they actually made it illegal. For Jewish people to try yes. to escape persecution in the same way. Damn, that's fu- that's yeah. rough. As, yeah, as soon as last names started carrying legal heft, there were absolutely rules on what what kinds of names you could choose. See, I was for thinking that like it's like what did the nobility is going to make you be called Jimmy Pigpin, but it's more like you can't be called Jimmy Royal Blood. You know, it's like stuff. It's you can't arise above okay. your station more. It depends. Like in Russia, sometimes they would force Jews to like take the last name Donkey Head. Are you something. serious? It, oh, oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. That's or, or fucking. Uh, yeah, it's bad. Well, I was just thinking it's a degrade. <laughs> you watch like just like it's almost a parody of like Russian mm. stupid, poli- you know, medieval politics. Yeah, I think in England it was more like, yeah, you can take that name, but you can't take this yeah, name. You can't be a Thomas, so, possibly, no. Okay, so I I don't know if you've ever heard of this book. Um, this is a, a very well-known book that was published in the 30s. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence sure, People. Sure, yeah. My, my son is uh, 15, and he wanted me to buy him this book, so I did. He's a very odd little fellow. So That's um, that's, uh, that's anyway. a little finger in the making, man. I don't <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's for sure. Okay, that was written by a guy named Dale Carnegie. Mm-hmm. And you might you might recognize that last name. Sure. Um he invented that last name. Like in other words, I mean it, th- that last name was well known because of industry. Mm-hmm. Um but he decided he was going to change his last name to Carnegie to sell more books. Cuz it's a name with prestige. That's, yep. That kind of stuff flies in America. That does not fly in the medieval world. That's that's exactly why these upper classes wanted to preserve their names and not allow the lower classes to use. Yeah, can you imagine Ty, what Tywin would do if you tried to style yourself as Lannister? You're some baseborn <laughs> bastard. Sure. Yeah, I think that that's kind of what we're talking about with the, the Valerians. Mm. It was a name like like Rockefeller or uh, Carnegie, or so, it was a big name like that. It was a name like Kennedy, and in that way, I think it probably has more in line with the way we think about last names in the modern world. I think that his name is synonymous with wealth, with industry, you know, with you know with exploration that's the name it's a very old prestigious name and his idea about having a child on the throne with that name is kind of like gets them all hot and bothered Mm -hmm. um this is not something that they would have even considered to be the case in medieval england because there were no old last names there were no names going back to ancient rome right, or right. ancient greece or ancient egypt or something like that so this is sort of a particular feature of martin's world that makes it more like modern america and a little bit less like medieval times it feels like maybe it's a, it's also a connection to like older fantasy material like George that that's a very Tolkien thing right to have a name that yep. goes back thousands of years oh yeah Bilbo Baggins it's like, you know, 
that, maybe the hobbits are a bad example but, but but yeah like you know aragorn of arathorn that's a name that goes mm. back to the mighty kings of numenor and the adain and all, right. yeah so uh th- well and i should mention that i mean that that's interesting because you've got these different cultures in middle earth but um in in that way you know the chinese were doing last names like 3000 years before the rest before like modern mm. europe so um or i should probably just say europe in general so so there were ancient last names in other parts of the gotcha. world and and i should probably call that out uh i'm going to talk about for the first time you know i talked I, I, I'm, I'm as surprised as anyone to find out that we have been delving into material and, and we've hit a, a, a vein, a, a possible vein of Valerian tinfoil. We've got we got oh we got a, a classic throwback spoiler theory section here. Um, I, I am so excited about this. You mentioned a little bit about yeah. this to me and I was, I've been, I've been waiting. I've, I've been rubbing my hands together. We, we don't know how rich this vein is going to be. Don't know how many good men and women are going to be down in the mines dying, but, but I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've got word. Uh, I, I saw this, uh, Kim Rin- Well, should we give people warning? Yeah. If this, so that this, this is one of those things where it's like it's not really a spoiler because it's based on things we know from the books. And I'm not going to go into the particular details of that. But what has lit the spoiler crafters on fire is the fact that like like show events, because you know, we've seen mm-hmm. time and time again where things happen in fire and blood. and There's different possibilities and there's different emotional you know, resonances and stuff. And then the, the show is kind of putting a definitive stamp on it. Um, and when it's right. deviating from that, people are like, huh, wonder, wonder why. So this comes out of uh, a YouTuber named Joe the Magician. I got this by way of a, a Kim Renfro retweet. Uh, but it's raising the possibility. And again, if you you don't want any kind of hints or predictions uh, or things to look out for in the future, now is the time to stop the podcast. This is the theory of uh, our be- our buddy Lar- Laris. Larry? Laris Strong, the Clubfoot. Okay. Secret I love this Green Seer. <laughs> so we have pointed out, Anthony, uh, that uh-huh. canonically, no weirwood trees in the Godswood of King's Landing. On the show, yeah, Sansa's right. praying to a weirwood stump, which makes is consistent right. with the lore. Uh, in the books, they they specify there is no weirwood stump or otherwise in the Godswood. It's just a white oak with some red vines uh-huh. going through it. Yeah, this last episode really zooms in on the face. It's like they're almost hitting us over the head with the fact that they're all having these conversations. It's no accident that we discovered this vein this week, because as you say, in House of the Dragon, there's always been a very prominent weirwood with carved a carved face in the godswood Uh there. Um, And it was front and center this week. So what do we know about this Laris guy? Even if you've read the books, and we've both read Fire and Blood, I've read the uh, all the Dance of Dragons right before the season. I've been kind of reading a few pages, keeping yeah. up with the week. There's not much. Uh, there's countless theories and speculation about Laris's loyalty and the upcoming conflict, his motivations, but there's just not a lot to go on. And especially right. um, this this week also blew open the idea of the Fire and Blood can say something like, oh, yeah. Uh, this lady, uh, Royce in the veil died of a hawking accident and passed away after an eight day coma and boy, that freed up Damon to pursue these other interests. 
But Ryan Condal is like, you know what? Damon murdered her. So yeah, keep in mind of like right. all the different. So so well, there's not a lot to go on. There's not a lot of actually things that he does. Uh, we know that he's very smart. He's got a club foot and he knows things, things that he might not have a direct reason for knowing. Mm. Like, you know, the Grand Maester making some plan T brewing that up for uh, Rhaenyra late at night in her quarters. Sure. So sure, sure. currently the Strongs hold Hall, which is. You know, the very rich and profitable landownings that are attached to a very giant and haunted and ruined castle. And Laris probably grew up at, at or around Harrenhal. And one thing we know about Harrenhal is that it's settled on the northernmost shores of the God's Eye, which is the largest lake in Westeros. Uh, it's called the God's yeah. Eye because if you looked at it from an aerial view, it's got this big green island in the middle of it. And it looks like a big blue eyed giant's eye. Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The other reason is that this is a ve- this, this central island, which is called the Isle of Faces, is a very special, unique place in Westeros. It's said to be the place thousands of years ago where the children of men made a pact with the first men that we're going to, you know, we're going to stop mm-hmm. this butchering of each other. We're going to stay through the forest. You stay through the cleared areas in your fields. And that led to centuries if not thousands of years of peaceful coexistence and cultural exchange well yeah and the god's eye is famously like it's like maybe the most spiritual place in all of westeros you know it's it's known to be like one of the you know the epicenter oh yeah weirwood magic because because like the children took the time to carve faces on every tree on that aisle because they wanted the gods to take special notice of the vows taken there so yes, yeah. it's a very so spiritually Larry connected is place. Like, yeah, he's like God's eye. He's, he's living next right? door to this nexus yeah. of weirwood power. Uh, so there's an order called the Green Men that were formed to guard and keep uh, this this uh, island sacred. Uh, some think the Green Men are residual children of the forest down into the Ned Stark period of Game of Thrones. Some think they're first men type of shamans that are just running around wearing green antlers and or I'm sorry, antlers and green right. robes. Some think there's like a blend of the two. Um, but what is known that any time a riverman tries to cross the lake and enter the island, they're driven away by uh, the stiff winds or flocks of ravens, which I think is hilarious because I'm like, yeah. why? Why have the maesters commissioned an expedition to this island? Like, they're just like, oh, cloud of ravens got to give up. Like, here's some magic shit maesters. Come forge yeah. your Valerian steel link, you you pussies. But well, if you if you've ever seen the birds, these that's these, true. You know, they get pecky. These, these ravens can be really messy. Yeah, they could they could couldn't couldn't the maesters have no <laughs> couldn't wear a helm or anything. So anyway, <laughs> God's eye literally visible from the walls of Harrenhal, and the theory uh-huh. is that this forest held special interest to the young Laris growing up uh, as a as, as a boy who has a a, a physical impediment to his mobility in a very similar way that Bran, after he was crippled, held a fascination for the first men and warging and enabled his natural talents to manifest. The speculation is that at some point he crossed the lake and the green men, for whatever reason, accepted him, tootled him in their ways. Why? To what Uh. end? Who knows? I don't know. Uh, we nobody knows. We do know that a hundred years from now in the house of dragon timeline, Brendan, the blood Raven, uh, rivers when the bastard Targaryens is going to journey north beyond the wall and merge with this weirwood cave and become the three-eyed raven where he can essentially right. see everything in the realm using the weirwood net- network and ravens and other beasts despise and influence people through their dreams. 
But do we really think that he's the first to seek out or be called by this green seeing power to serve the gods or the realm or whatever the hell they're doing? George, finish your goddamn mm-hmm. books. Um, if true, the show, the fact that the show is taking great pains to show us this this weirwood right here in the heart of the political center of Westeros might be a clue as to how Larius is getting his information. Um so that's interesting to me yeah. because in disability studies, sometimes we talk about uh, the super crip. I don't know if you've heard of this. It sounds offensive, but... Uh... Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's sort of like the it's sort of like the tendency in fiction to have a, 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 dis- a disabled character who then you endow with, like, superpowers. Daredevil. So he can sort of make up Daredevil or Dr. X. Mm-hmm. Or you could just go down the line. It's it's pretty typical. And, of course, we we know that, that Martin likes this, right? We, we Professor, likes Professor X give. got a medical license? He's, he's got upgraded to doctor? Or he's just styling himself that? Oh, did I say Dr. <laughs> <He> X? <laughs> and I was like, what the? Oh, per- okay, okay. Yeah, no, honorary doctorate. I've just bestowed it nice, upon him. Nice, nice. Um, so, yeah, so, and we know that we know for sure that Martin does traffic in these tropes because look no further than Bran the Broken, yep. right? Yep. So, yeah, it would be, it would not be out of character for this particular show to play with a super crip trope. Now, I don't know if that makes this guy a green seer. I just, I, but I will say it, it's a fun thing. And that's to say, I will, sure. I, if you ask me, gun in the head, what is the plausibility of this out of scale of one to 10, one being. Uh, Varys is the Merlin King and 10 being Jon Snow is a secret Targaryen. I'm going to go with like a three because there's Um, all the pieces here, but there's little direct evidence. And, you know, Larys could do all the things he's done in the show just by paying attention and listening to the ladies at court whispering. And you don't need the weirwood there. But that's 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 why it's not a one for me is because you don't need a weirwood here. In fact, you shouldn't have it. So the fact that that's right, there is a weirwood is going, you know, to, to, to play into some prominence. So. Uh, I, I certainly do hope so. Like, I'm a fantasy lit fan. I kind of take the opposite view that, like, Steve takes or Jim takes. I, I want to see You like magic. the magic, yeah. I, I, yeah, give me a little a little bit of magic. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's certainly um, this show has got dragons, and, of course, that connects to magic in some way. I would love to see the weirwood tree be there for a purpose. And if if it takes Lara Strong being a green seer, I will absolutely get on board. That guy is fascinating. If you want to hear thir- like thirty more minutes of like supporting evidence and going into the Weirwood Network and historical Weirwood users, uh, I would do encourage you to watch uh, Joe the Magician's video on his Larry Strong secret green seer theory, which will be linked in the show notes. Um, speaking of uh, directing people's attention to places, Anthony. Where can they find you uh, if they want to continue yeah. with your thoughts on House of the Dragon? And I, I hear you're 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 double double time in it with uh, the Rings of Power. Oh yes, so um, yeah, Double Dragon. Just to do a search for Double Dragon. This week we cover uh, episode five, but in addition to that, uh, medievalist Kavita Mudan Finn joins us to talk about. 
colors of clothing in the medieval world. Did you know that there were actual laws about who could wear what color? <laughs> I'll believe anything now that you can make the Jewish people be donkey heads and keep the pores from have... being being royal. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, there were rules about who could wear what color. You, there were rules about who could wear what kind of fur. So you could absolutely, uh, you know, recognize someone's class by just the clothes that they're wearing. And this is a good episode to do that because, of course, a very prominent color was True. featured on a dress. True. Right. So anyway, um, as far as sort of me jumping on with the Lorehounds, uh, we, we says I have to figure out what that's going to look like so you know tune in tune in to both double dragon and the lorehounds to find that out. all right thanks anthony we'll see you next week on another maester's corner all right thanks man and that'll do us for this week's uh house of the dragon hot d feedback podcast if you'd like to leave us feedback for either jim and i to consider or always uh, ask to be considered for maester anthony in the maester's corner send that into hot d at baldmove.com you can of course follow us on twitter twitter.com slash baldmove to stay up with everything that bald moves doing all of our releases uh you can join our discord at discord.baldmove.com we will be back sunday night for the instant talk instant take podcast that we do live record live for our club members and uh, we released the instant take portion, but the talk portion remains private just exclusively for our club members' enjoyment. If you'd like to get in on that fun, it's real easy. Support.baldmove.com, get ad-free feeds and bonus content like the instant talk, instant take portions of our live reaction show on Sunday night. Uh, can't wait for the next episode, and we'll see you guys then. 